Greetings, loyal sham listeners. Eric here. What you are about to hear is a demo episode for season two of Sham Fiction. The new season kicks off in earnest on February 5th, 2018, so stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. But in the meantime, we thought we'd share with you what we've been working on. This episode was recorded about six months ago, so it shows a few minor flaws. It's not quite as polished as the episodes will be after February 5th, but it's still like a bonus episode. Why not? It's fun. It's Leviathan Wakes. Oh, I just spoiled it. Anyway, on with the show. Enjoy this demo episode of Sham Fiction. They say the pen is mightier, but in whose hands? Sham writers haven't read a lot So your sham host will find a famous plot From books and films and TV shows They'll make a pitch Then off you go to write what you don't know This is Sham Fiction The show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know Now, here's your host, Eric Carlson Hey, welcome to Sham Fiction, everybody. We got Sham Fiction Duel, Season the Duel. I'm your host. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for laughing already. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Carlson. This week, I get to pitch an amazing property for two writers to write. It's the same two writers every time. I might as well just jump right into it and bring them in because they're already giggling at me. So first of all, I'm going to introduce Andrew Neal. Say hi, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. Oh, hey, Eric. Are you doing good? I'm doing great. Doing? I'm I'm just happy to be doing sham fiction again. You know, it was it's been too. too long since we've done this. It's been months, literal months. Months. What? How have you been spending your time? I, it's just I don't even want to say. I don't even want to say. I'm gonna bring in Marcus, and maybe I'll let him know. So, Marcus, come on in. You're writer number two. Hey, that's me, number two. Yay, number two. That's the poop number. How have you been spending your months? Uh, well, you know, I, I'll tell you. <laughs> hey, wait a second. But you're I, gonna answer him. <laughs> but I won't tell Andrew. <laughs> I've been writing. Ooh, I'm still here. Uh, that's fine. But uh, we're, we're here. We're, we're talking about a fantastic book that neither of you have read. The first in a series, am I right? Oh, sounds right. exotic. Yeah, so... A series, yeah, and I've heard it's kind of long. It's it's a long and It is a long un. Uh, we're talking about Leviathan Wakes this week, which is the first book in the Expanse series. I was going to say trilogy, but they just keep buying them. Keep buying them. Uh, it is now a major uh, show on Sci-Fi Network, uh, but you know I haven't seen it. Have you guys yeah. seen that? Sound like ten minutes of it. Oh well, that uh, you have to leave the room now. Oh no! <laughs> but uh, I know Chuck, in my Tom defense, James I couldn't tell you what I saw. My dad was watching it, and I was in the room. <laughs> oh well, that doesn't count. Ah, uh, sit down. You're fine. You're oh, fine. All right, good. I was Yay. so afraid. P- pick your pencil back up. Don't all look right. so sad. Uh, So what we're doing this season is we're doing head-to-head writing challenges where both Andrew and Marcus will be writing their best take of uh, Leviathan Wakes, even though they haven't read it, 
based on purely the eight minutes of material that I'm going to tell them in this pitch session. I bet it's going to be a great eight minutes, Eric. I bet you're going to do a really good pitch. It'll be really strong, and I can't wait to write it because it's going to be such a good pitch. Are you sucking up to me, or do you just know that I'm going to do a really bad job at this? I neither. I just think it's going to be great, (laughs) as all as just telling your greatness how great you'll be. Wow. Wow. I don't think the listeners at home can see the fingers crossed that Marcus has right in front of the camera right now. It's very subtle, Marcus. You already have lost like eight points. Uh, you know, possibly. I'm, just, nine. I'm willing to do anything to win this competition. That means nothing. Is why right. I'm trying to get out there. Well, you know, I'll remember that you tried to, you know, like bribe the judges with your kindness when we get to the uh, the scoring portion of the episode later on. So, Excellent. That's all I want. Why don't we just jump I gotta into this? I got to say, I'm dreading this a little bit. I, I don't know how well I can write uh, my version of a you know 1,000 page. I'm guessing uh, underwater epic. You got it. It's, um, it's about it's about a giant squid that yeah, that has a very rough morning. Yeah, he's very angry. But eventually, he was sleeping. He was zonked out, and some boat hull <laughs> scraped up against him, and he's just like, "Harumph! What am I gonna do now?" And that's the story. That's what we have to come up with. I don't even know I just what pitched I'm it here. for you. Thank you. See you later. You did all the work. See ya, Andrew. All right, Marcus. So while Andrew writes that version of <laughs> Leviathan Wakes, I will say before I jump into the actual plot details that uh, this is a novel written by James S.A. Corey, which, as I found out today, is not a real man. What? What? Not He's a, a real fake name. man. Like a it's robot? It's a fake man. Not like a robot. It's actually two people. Uh, as I was describing, it's based, it's two children stacked on top of each other wearing an oversized <laughs> coat. Um, like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon writing Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the actual collaborators on this project are Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. And together they use the, uh, they use the pen name James S.A. Corey. Oh, that's uh, fun. It is fun. It is, it's, it's great. I'm going to just uh, jump into it now. You all ready? Ready. All right. Let's get those yes. eight minutes on the clock. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's jam. All right. Leviathan Wakes. This is a science fiction novel. We are in the future. We are in space. The human race has expanded beyond Earth. They've basically colonized the entire solar system. Earth and Mars are the two major superpowers. Uh, And then there are also millions and millions of people living in the outer reaches of the solar system, uh, many of whom are in the belt the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Uh, People who live there are known as belters. Um, And this society is basically built around people taking advantage of the belters, more or less, because it's basically the slums of the solar system. Mars has all the cool tech. Earth has, you know, all the culture and and also good tech, but not as good as Mars. And the people who live in the belt, they basically have the dregs of society and technology and everything. They're the people who do all the blue-collar labor, who do all the hard work, um, and then they get kind of pooped on. Oh, I bet they get no respect. They get no, no respect at all. Respect at all. 
uh, by the people in who live down the gravity well, as they say. <laughs> uh, so Earth and Mars are in a loose sort of alliance. Um, the uh, Earth ha- is uh, run- basically run by the UN. The UN has a navy. Uh, Mars also has a military force in space um, called, uh, oh gosh, the MCRN. Um, but there's also another faction at play in this story called the OPA, which is the Outer Planets Alliance, and they're basically fighting to, um, f- on behalf of the Belters and the, you know, Outer Planets, uh, to get the respect they deserve from Earth and Mars. Um, a couple of places that we're gonna, we're gonna see in this story, we got Ceres Station, which is the largest, um, asteroid city, basically. It's this crazy place that's built out on to- on an asteroid that spins to give an Earth-like gravity on the outer perimeters of this place. So, so they live think- inside it? Uh, basically, yes. Yeah. So they're, it's, I mean, it's space, so you gotta have an atmosphere, you gotta be enclosed, you know. It's, it's like giant, odd spaceships sort of built around rocks, space stations that spin to create gravity. <laughs> um, we also have Tycho Station, which is one of these places where they build a lot of super crazy toys. technology toys. Yeah, exactly. Spaceships, the like. Any large engineering project, Tycho Station is where it happens. Like, the, Tycho is the sort of place where they, like, build these crazy big cities around asteroids. Uh, and then we also have Eros Station, which is another one of these cities. And we'll get we'll talk about all, all three of these places. Because we're mostly in the belt for this whole story. Uh, the... The characters that we're following in this story are um, the former crew of the Canterbury. The Canterbury was a ice hauling vessel where they would ship back and forth between the belt and the outer planets, collecting ice in you know the the colder outer reaches of the solar system, bringing it back to use for water and everything that you need in a place where you don't have water like the belt. Um, our main character that we follow is Jim Holden. He was the he was uh, he's an Earther. He is formerly of the UN Navy uh, and also formerly the XO aboard the Canterbury. Um, and now I'll, I'll let you know what happens that he basically becomes the captain. Um, we also have Naomi. Who Would you is, say he is the captain now? He is the captain now. Uh, we have <laughs> Naomi, who is a belter. Four minutes is, remaining. Oh, God, already. Who is an engineer. <laughs> She's the smartest character in this story. Um, and Holden is, like, in love with her. Uh, and then we have Alex, who is the pilot. Um, very techie sort of guy. He'll fix anything. Um, and uh, he's formerly of the Martian Navy. Um, so the reason I'm talking about these cats is that the Canterbury was destroyed, uh, and it's a uh, very mysterious why it all what what all went down. The the big this big ship was heading home uh, to Ceres when there was this this beacon that they followed like a distress beacon. They go to the ship. Uh, Holden and this little mini crew take a shuttle out to this ship, take a look around, find it completely empty, but then they find the thing uh, emitting the beacon was actually a piece of Martian technology. It wasn't actually coming from the ship. And they're like, this is weird. And then suddenly this stealth ship comes out of nowhere and blows up the Canterbury. Everybody Mm. on board dies. The only people who survive are these people in the shuttle. So now Holden's in charge. Um, Then there are a few other people too. So Naomi and Alex are all there. Um, 
but they book it. They get the heck out of there. Um, and they're like, what's going on? This was like some sort of Martian Navy destroying this, you know, this belter ice ship. What's going on? And because they, they don't know what's happening, Holden decides, because he's a good guy, uh, he should just let the universe know, like, holy crap, this just happened, sends out a signal to the entire, uh, entire solar system saying, we think maybe the Martian Navy just blew up this, this ship, what the heck? Uh, and that starts a war. <laughs> yeah, because you know you start. There's you gotta watch that Twitter. You gotta you know, watch it. You gotta watch what you say uh-huh. because who knows what remaining. stuff you're gonna stir up. Yeah, because I mean things were already tense on the belt, and so you got Mars versus the belt maybe, and the the OPA is getting involved who are you know trying to defend the belt, um, and. The uh, this is going to be tough because there are more characters I need to get to. So <laughs> this is this is a problem. So you got that crew over here. You got another character happening at the same time who's a detective, Detective Miller, who is on Ceres Station. Uh, he is looking into the disappearance of a young, rich Martian uh, heiress named Julie Mao. So he's trying to figure out what happened to her it looks like maybe she got into some opa business and then this whole thing with the canterbury happens and it explodes into this this bubbling war uh series station becomes a huge mess uh he's trying to figure out what's going on he eventually meets up with um holden and his crew remaining uh on the uh i didn't even get to mention much of tycho station on eros station uh, where they all get together and they find Julie Mao, the girl she's looking for, but she is apparently dead. And this is the really weird thing that's happening in this story is because there's some sort of sci-fi alien thing happening. They find her body in a bathroom, basically sprouting all this gooey tendrils and things. Just like something has grown out of her, exploded out of her. She's like melted into this weird thing. And so what the heck is going on? There's the political intrigue, there's this weird sci-fi crap happening, and then there's all these characters who are from way different places, all kind of involved in the middle of this war. That is... I, w- I wish the audience could have seen your wiggling just then. So it much really wiggling. painted a picture. There was a lot of wiggling of your limbs. Uh-huh. There was, Time's there up. Yep. The only way I can illustrate it is by doing it myself, which is not helpful to our listening audience. Not helpful at all. But there is so much more I couldn't get to. Eight minutes is insane for this book. Well, considering <laughs> it's a you know a two thousand page book, mm-hmm. uh, like what can you do? Exactly. So I was you got to pick your battles. I was impressed, Eric. I think you did a great job with those eight minutes. Thanks, Marcus. I. Now, it's actually starting to, I'm starting to come around. I, I, I kind of like it. Keep telling me good I things. I think I see a little brown in your teeth, Marcus. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> okay. Uh, good. All right. So I hope your questions are, are good because... Better wow. than last week's. Wow. I, uh, wow. I'm not making any promises. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So each of you in now gets two minutes to ask me as many questions as you want. Uh, but the other writer, 
does not get to hear the questions or the answers. So I will flip a coin to decide who gets to go first. I'm not actually flipping a coin. I choose Marcus gets to go first. That's me! Which means Andrew... Step out of the room, and we'll get this uh, this two-minute timer started. Two-minute Q&A begin. All right, so first off, uh, you said there are alien things. Is this the first alien-type thing that humanity's ever seen? Yes, there's nothing from outside of the solar system or extraterrestrial ever been found. This is the only possible sign of life ever that anyone has ever seen. Okay, so once the Canterbury's been destroyed... What kind of vessel are, are Belters using to get around? Just so, the shuttle? Uh, they end up actually on a fancy outfitted uh, Martian military vessel that's super fast and super well armed and armored and everything called the Rox, uh, the Rocinante. Named after, uh, uh, oh gosh, never mind, don't worry about that. How did they get that? <laughs> Uh, they ended up getting uh, brought on board a giant Martian ship that got a t- ends up getting attacked by the same stealth ship that destroyed the Canterbury, and they get out of there by the skin of their teeth in this little, smaller vessel. Interesting. So they think yeah. that this might not actually be Martians, the stealth vessel. Uh, the Yeah, it uh, turns out that it probably isn't Mars, but and he he gone and flapped his gums. <laughs> what does the uh, detective get out of finding this heiress? Uh, so that's his job. He is a, you know, he is hired as security on Ceres Station, and he is contracted to find uh, this woman. And then for whatever reason, he is told not to be on the case anymore. Uh, but he, he becomes obsessed. So he, it's just his personal obsession to find this Who tells woman. him not to be on the case? Uh, just his boss. Okay. Somebody who is actually in league with the OPA. It's complicated. Is the heiress tied to the government? Uh, no. All right. Uh, gosh, I think that's probably going to be about all I can get to right now. Yeah. I am so excited to write this one. <laughs> it's going to be weird. This sounds like make a really cool weird. story. Yeah. Just, just make it gross. <laughs> make it gross. All right. I can that's, do that. That's the only thing, extra thing I can tell you. So there you go. I think Good time's up. Time's up. There you go. <laughs> there all right. Is. Now get out of here and Andrew can come back inside and we'll switch, right. switch things up. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, Andrew. I'm back. You ready for this? Nope. Oh, well, too bad. Let's do two minutes on the clock. Oh, no. Two-minute Q&A begin. Okay, so have these people ever been to, like, Earth or Mars before, or are they is the only world they know the belt? Uh, Holden is from Earth originally. Um, Alex is from Mars originally. Miller is from the belt. Naomi is from the belt. It's kind of all over the place. How... Do how long have these colonies been in the belt? Has it been? There I think it's for about a really long about time, hundred years, something like that. Hundred years. Yeah. Um. So, are these places like artificial gravity sort of thing, or are people just like floating around and stuff like that? It's like it's all very realistic space. If there's no such thing as artificial gravity, to get artificial gravity, you either need to be accelerating. So, like the spaceships, you accelerate forward. And you are basically pushed back at like an Earth-like gravity, or you spin the station, and it's that centrifugal force outward that creates a, a gravity-like feeling. Okay, so this series uses as close to uh, realistic sort of sci-fi versus like a space opera star. Very much so. Yes, as very realistic. Interesting. Okay, so is this the first uh, extraterrestrial life that they've? Can't answer come- that. All right. Um, 
what uh, what is like the culture situation? So do the Martian culture is it like very like kind of Spartan and militaristic? Um, we don't do they know kind much of identify about, we don't know as, much about Martian uh, culture. We mostly see running. culture for the belt, which is very much there's a clashing culture between the people who live on the planets, the inner planets, and the people who live outside the inner planets. So do any, they do not like each other. Do you have any idea what the government is like? Uh, it's like a hegemony of some kind. There's like a dual hegemony between Earth and Mars. It's weird. I'm not quite sure. Okay, so the Belters, other than this... The Belters are kind of loose affiliation. It's not a lot of formal government, sounds like. Kind of Wild West. Okay. Time's up. Do they up. drink blue oh, milk? Time's up. <laughs> you can have blue milk if you want, but I won't let you know if it's in the story. Okay. <laughs> All right, so get out of here, Andrew. Go right. I'm excited to see what you have to, what you have for me. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Sham listeners. Eric here. Before we get to the stories, I have a request for you. If you're enjoying Sham Fiction, please consider heading on over to iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave Sham Fiction a five-star rating. You can also leave us a review and let other people know what you think. Um, and if you're feeling generous, like you've got $3 burning a hole in your pocket right now, please head to coffee.com slash shamfiction. That's coffee spelled K-O-F-I dot com slash shamfiction. And that way you can buy us the proverbial cup of coffee. You give us a little donation that goes a long way to supporting the show and helping us continue to do this into the future. We really, really appreciate everything that the listeners do for this show, and that includes you. So thank you, thank you so much. And now, it's story time! Oh, oh, mercy me, I am tired. I am a leviathan that just woke. Oh, how many tentacles you have. You got really into social norms and... Fighting gender politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am a very woke Leviathan. That is Excellent. what I meant. <laughs> Thank you very much. Marcus Mann and Andrew Neal are back from writing. Look at them. They look so happy. They got smiles on their faces. Laughful after what he just said. Uh, I'm pretty dang happy. I like that joke. It's a good joke. That was good. It was a good job. But I'm really angry it's at it. It's better than the fiction. Go so, ahead. Uh, well, you're not getting any points for that I joke. I it to him. I just give it to him after that. <laughs> Well, so I say we get right into it. You guys ready to read some of your fictions? Sure. All right. Well, because Marcus made a good joke, he's going first. So, Marcus, man, are you ready to read Leviathan Wakes? Your sham fiction of it. I'll sham it. I'm ready to sham. Three, two, one, let's sham. There it is. All right. Take it away. This is my version of Leviathan Wakes. The Rokinante was low on supplies, but at least it was in deep space. That was how Naomi liked it. It was hard to be found out in the vacuum, if you didn't want to be. Especially when you were surrounded by 30 tons of MCRN don't fuck with me. (laughs) And right now, that was the last thing any of them wanted. To be found. How's the lab coming along? Holden's voice came through slightly higher in pitch than if he was standing next to Naomi. It was one of the first tweaks she liked to make whenever she got on a new ship. It wasn't much, but if you knew what to listen for, you could always tell if someone was really there or speaking over the normally crystal-clear Martian intercom. Lab! How generous, Captain. You know what I mean. I've got the scanner set up in the airlock. It's not much, but it'll let us take a look at whatever it was that killed Miss Mao. Tell Alex to keep her steady. Aye, aye, Holden said. Miller's on his way to you now. That reminds me. I need some coffee. 
Play nice, Holden said. <laughs> Is that an order, Captain? I've got the hollow running if you'd like to play a babysitter. <laughs> Naomi smiled as she pictured the way Holden wrinkled his forehead when he was uncomfortable. It was too cute. <laughs> Holden out was all he said. A knock at the inner airlock door brought Naomi back to herself. Her smile faded as she let Detective Miller in. It wasn't that he was a bad guy. Far from it. He just bored the ever-loving shit out of her. <laughs> hey, Detective. How's it floating? <laughs> <laughs> Was there enough of the sample I grabbed to get started? Miller asked. Straight to business, of course. There wasn't, actually, Naomi began, but there is now. Take a look. She directed him to a large, sealed container sitting on the makeshift workbench. Through the glass, he could see a swarming mess of gray tendrils, the same pulsing goo that had erupted out of Julie Mao, taking mm. her life. It's grown that much already? Are you sure it's safe to keep in here? Miller took a step back. The scanner shows that it stopped expanding. I'm not a biologist, but I'm guessing this is all the fuel it had left from Mao. And if not, Naomi gestured to the red override switch on the door. That's why we're in an airlock. <laughs> Point taken, Miller said. I think we've got to tell somebody about this. What do you care? You're off the clock. Not my employers, but someone. Maybe everyone. Isn't that what you do around here? Naomi felt a flush in her cheeks. Holden's message about the cloaked ship had started a war. How would people react to finding out they weren't alone in the universe? If this thing was even alien... Why don't we see what we can find out before jumping to any conclusions, alright? Fine. Nothing to worry about. Olden's voice was calming, but the jolt to the ship as the traders docked was less than reassuring. <laughs> We're trying to work down here, Miller especially, Naomi shot back. They'd been at it for hours, and the presence of outsiders wasn't going to improve her mood. Way I see it, we lucked out. A couple of belters with extra fuel that's MCRN compatible? And they'll sell it to us if we don't mention it down the gravity well? This will let us stay out here a little longer, until we know what we want to do. Aren't you concerned about how they found us? Miller asked. Of course I am, which is why I'm asking to keep the lights out in Airlock B until they're gone. Airlock B? You mean the lab, right, Holden? Naomi. I'm fine with the dark, but what if the detective can't keep his hands to himself? <laughs> Holden out. <laughs> Miller, ever obedient, moved immediately to shut off the lights. How long have you been in love with the captain? That's a strong word, Naomi said. <sighs> Fine. Had feelings for him. No, I meant captain. Holden's more of an intermediary leader since the Canterbury went down. Are you serious? <laughs> ever? I think my work speaks for itself, Naomi said. Why don't you listen to it while we're stuck down here? No more tests until we get the go-ahead. Naomi? Shh, my welding is talking. Miller sighed, but he finally shut up. Naomi wasn't sure why she was being so harsh towards him. Maybe she did feel something for Holden. But between invisible ships, civil war, and maybe even aliens? She didn't have time to sort out what that might be. The results of their tests had been amazing. The life form was completely unrecognized by the scanner, which was strange enough by itself, but it also kept moving, even after they vented all the air from the container. It seemed to be completely immune to a vacuum. Outside of microscopic water bears, that was unheard of. The implication of this discovery could be astronomical. If it was an alien, where did it come from? 
Was this all there was, or is it possible there was actually other intelligent life somewhere beyond the belt? Naomi wanted to check out how long they'd been waiting, but didn't want to even risk the light from her wrist display. The best case scenario was that the vessel they'd found had been a couple of opportunistic belters trying to flip some Martian tech that got lost in the war. The worst case scenario is they knew who was on the Rokinante. Either way, it would be good to keep their discovery hidden. No one who knew what the Rokinante was was very fond of throwing them parties. After what seemed like ages, there came a knock at the door. A furtive look confirmed Holden was standing outside holding a pistol. Why hadn't he paged them? That was protocol. Miller opened the door before Naomi could stop him. Captain, what's going on? Miller asked. Holden put a finger to his lips and tapped on the lights. His eyes went wide when he saw the specimen in the container. He moved toward it, but Naomi stood between him and the container. Holden, seriously, what is going on? Holden sighed and spoke in a whisper, his gun too close to level for her comfort. Those weren't belters. They were MCRN, and they're here to try to bring us in. I knocked one out in the galley, but there's still more out there. Hmm. We need to take the specimen and get out of here. Give it to me. That voice, Naomi thought. How could I say no? <laughs> With a smooth movement, she lifted the container and smashed it into the side of Holden's head. <laughs> the hollow didn't give out immediately, but when the tendrils ripped through his chest and popped out his eyes, it flickered and gave way. God, she was glad she was right. <laughs> Miller retched at the side of the growing tangle of gray. Naomi pulled him out of the way, making sure it didn't touch either of them. She reached down and grabbed the pistol before leading Miller out of the room. How did you know it wasn't really the captain? Naomi thought about explaining the pitch change she had done to the ship systems, but she decided to throw him a bone. Maybe you weren't entirely wrong about the way I feel about Holden. Now come on, let's make sure he's really okay. But the lab, how can we just leave him? We'll be back, Naomi said. Besides, on the bright side, we're definitely not going to run out of samples. The end. <laughs> wow. Wow. Ooh, there, there, there it was. The Expanse by Marcus Mann. I'm on the edge of my seat. I can't wait to talk about it. But I'm scooting back to the rear of my seat as we turn to Andrew Neal. Just don't scoot hey, too buddy. far. We need to hear you on the mics. We need to get that yeah. crisp audio. That's a good... Can, can, you, can you hear me? Too close. Too close. Hear, oh, too close. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. Intimate. I'm sorry. Well, Andrew, you will just have to push me back to the edge of my seat because it's your turn. All right. Let's wake this Leviathan. Let's wake it up. Wake it up. That's good. Already plus 10 points. All right. Here we go. Andrew Neal's Leviathan wakes. Julie Mao lived in a white house on a green lawn under a bubble. Everything outside was red. The house was large and the lawn expansive because Julie's family was wealthy. As a child, men in pristine uniforms would bow to her and kiss her wrist and she would giggle. These men were grateful for the protection provided by her family. An only child, Julie was the sole heir to Mao Defensive Technologies, the leading private developer of technology for the Martian military. When she was seven, her father died unexpectedly, leaving her mother to run the business. Julie's mother had never been around much while her father was still alive, and now that he was dead, her mother was nearly non-existent in her life. In place of her parents, Julie was raised by the family's household staff who lived in small rooms in the, in the East Wing. 
Most of them, Julie learned as she grew older, were not originally from Mars. They were from a faraway place called the Belt. <laughs> Over the years, Julie picked up bits and pieces about this place. It took a bit of prodding to get the Belters to speak about their old home, and when they did speak, Julie often noticed their eyes grow moist, or their faces redden. Stories about the Belt never had happy endings, she learned. Someone would get hurt, or die, or at best, their dreary lives would stay the same. As a teenager, her mother forced Julie to shadow her at work, but an interest in the family business never took hold. Even the sight of massive military vessels disappearing before her unblinking eyes, thanks to MDT's state-of-the-art cloaking technology, didn't win over Julie. When Julie asked her mother if she could study social rights in the solar system at university, her mother choked on a swig of kale smoothie. She scolded Julie, <laughs> telling her that the only rights she should care about were those of the workers at their company, and even those should be left to the lawyers for God's sake. This condemnation only fueled Julie's curiosity. She began to research the Belt's history and read daily news online. Unfortunately, most Belt-related articles on Martian news and reference sites were written, by, or written from an unabashedly Martian point of view. Julie once again turned to the Belter staff of the Mao household. Still, despite her growing knowledge of the Belt and the power inequality of the solar system, the staff didn't engage in conversation on such topics. Some grew irritable or outright angry at her questioning. Julie didn't understand such reactions. Didn't, she, didn't they get that she wanted to help? With a lack of proper resources and support from those around her, Julie's enthusiasm in the topic of the belt waned. She started university, majoring in business administration. She continued to shadow her mother at plants and office buildings and lunches and galas, but she was only ever physically there. Her mind wandered, ruminating on those few sad stories she'd been told by maids and groundskeepers. Then a young man named Chuan came to work for Julie's family. He was a driver. He took Julie to and from campus and elsewhere during the day. He was the first to speak of the belt. At the mere mention of the subject, Julie grew excited and began telling Chuan all she knew on the subject. He listened to her attentively, and in return told stories of his life there. He had only just moved from Sari Station. Like other Belter staff at the house, Chuan's stories were full of tragedy and desperation. But unlike the other staff, Chuan spoke openly of his frustrations towards Martian and Earther rule over his home. This political talk brought purpose back to Julie's life. She'd been waiting years to share her, her opinions with an active participant and hear firsthand about the current state of the belt from an actual Belter not a Martian columnist. Chuan went a step further. He invited Julie to chat rooms on private networks. She began conversations online with people working for the OPA, the Outer Planets Alliance, those fighting on behalf of the Belters for social and systemic change. Upon learning that Julie was THE Julie Mao, heir to Mao Defensive Technologies, the OPA people became excited. Considering her unique position, they told Julie that she could be an important, mediating figure between the Belt and Mars. Additionally, they could see MDT and Belter defensive contractors mutually benefiting from business partnerships. 
After weeks of messaging with Julie, they proposed a face-to-face meeting, including a demonstration of a new defensive technology in prototype. Without much consideration, Julie eagerly agreed. Juan would accompany her to Eros. Julie arranged for the meeting to occur after finishing her first year at university. She received approval from her mother for a trip to Earth, but instead, Chuan booked them passage to Eros on a, commercial sh- on a commercial shipping vessel. The trip was unpleasant for Julie. She had experienced interplanetary travel multiple times growing up, accompanying her mother to Earth on business aboard luxury commuter ships. She remembered looking out at the vast, red landscape of her homeworld from orbit and the stars beyond. It had been so beautiful. The passenger compartment she inhabited on the ship to Eros didn't have windows. It was small and cold, and she and Chuan shared it with four other people. The first night aboard that ship was the first night in her life Julie spent without a staff waiting on her. She didn't like it, and slept only little. (laughs) They reached Eros five days later, and were met by unrest. During their trip, a communication from a Belter ice-hauling vessel had appeared online, speaking of an impromptu attack by the Martian military. As Chuan led Julie through the narrow streets of the station, they pushed through crowds of hostile Belters, sharing hateful conversations about Julie's home. She wondered what would happen if she were recognized, and began to weep silently. She struggled to stay close to Chuan for safety, but had the realization of how little she truly knew him. More tears came as she tried to push down such thoughts. They arrived at their destination after a few hours, the Apollonia Hotel. It was on the widest and cleanest street they traveled in Eros. The OPA people had assured Julie they'd look after her, and the relative luxury of the hotel was the first indicator of this to her. The next was the suite, which had a full living room, dining room, kitchen, bedroom, and bathroom. The place was a mansion compared to the quarters back at the ship. Julie peered out the floor-to-ceiling windows at the sprawl of Eros beyond, where weak artificial sunlight cast a melancholy, blue-tinted hue over the city. Chuan and the OPA people met Julie in her suite that night. They were charming and and good-humored, despite the horrible news sweeping through the streets. Julie drew attention to this, and the OPA people spoke of how their hope outweighed their fear. Her potential as an arbitrator between the Belt and Mars could be a massive breakthrough for the OPA. They ordered food and drinks, including a strange blue milk for Julie that Chuan said was popular in the Belt. It tasted like regular milk to her, maybe a tad sweeter. They spoke for hours after dinner, toasting to a safe, prosperous future for the Belt. Finally, Long after the artificial sun dimmed and streetlights speckled the view outside, the OPA people said goodnight. They would demonstrate their tech to Julie tomorrow. Juan left too, to his room downstairs. Her mind abuzz with the prospect of a thrilling future, Julie lay on the bed in her suite and stared out at the rooftops. The fear she had felt earlier had evaporated. In the morning, she thought everything in her life would be different. A half hour later, she fell asleep. But Julie Mao won't make it to the morning. She will wake up ill and go to the bathroom to vomit. It will be blue. She will look in the mirror 
and see blue vein, blue vein-like growths protruding from her mouth, nostrils, and eyes. She will begin to feel something moving inside her stomach, pushing up into her throat. It will block her airway, and she will begin to gag and choke. She will look into the mirror again and see her own face for the last time, reddened and wide with fear. Then, with violent force, a large tendril will eject from her mouth and slap the mirror. In alarm, she will slip and fall backward, hitting the base of her head on the lip of the bathroom's clawfoot tub. Julie will die instantly from this blow, but the thing inside her will not. It will grow throughout the bathroom for a few hours afterward, digesting Julie's flesh until it has nothing left to sustain itself. The OPA people will observe the result of their work and be mostly pleased. They'd hoped the prototype would have lived longer and grown larger. They take Julie's MDT access badge, and Chuan will leave a note on hotel stationery on the coffee table. The note will begin, Mars can't hide anymore. The end. (laughs) Oh my, the OPA behind the alien virus thingamajig. That's good. Thank you. I like that a lot. That was okay. That was two amazing stories. So you we read them backwards. Uh, <laughs> you're saying what is that? Sequentially, my story would have come after that. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I guess I, I we flipped the coin wrong to decide who yeah. went which order. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, so that was two sham fix, two fan fictions written by. Guys who have never read the book. Are you sure you guys haven't read this book? Pretty sure. Because I don't read much, Eric. Yeah, yeah, I know that about you. Not a reader. Wait a second. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the reader of this bunch. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, so, no, excellent, excellent job from both of you. So, before we kind of get into the head-to-head nature of this, because, I mean, this is, this is dueling sham fictions. We gotta, we gotta have a winner, and we gotta have a loser by the end of this. But before we get into scoring, um, can I kind of hear about the process, Andrew? Because we we just heard your story, can I hear uh, how this whole process was for you? Yeah. Um, so I started um, with thinking about something that adhered a little bit more to the characters that you gave in the assignment. Um, because it seemed like they all had very distinct points of view and background, I considered for a while of just having a dialogue scene between them where it was clearly representative of them talking about a topic and then having their points of view expressed depending on where they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suddenly had this idea about this character of Julie Mao and the world stuff that you described was like kind of in the politics and all that sounded really interesting. So I definitely wanted to use those and the Julie Mao thing, just, I don't know where it came from, but once I figured it out, this thing just popped out and I spent about an hour outlining it. And, uh, it only took me about four hours to write it, which for me is very quick. (laughs) Doesn't that feel good? Yeah, just, it just, just flows. It, once I had it, it just it just came out. So awesome! Yeah, that's kind of what happened. That's great. Congrats! Thanks, so, Marcus. You and the and uh, the lab in the airlock aboard the Rocanante. Tell us about your process. Yeah, well, so for Andrew. 
to clue you in, that was part of my Q&A. I found out that they were cruising about on the Rocanante. I was wondering about so, that. You kept saying that, and I was like, did he make that up? It doesn't sound like something he would make up. <laughs> that sounds too good to be made up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was something that I wanted to incorporate. Uh, Naomi seemed like the most interesting viewpoint character to me because she was you know, the smartest, coolest person. So that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just free wrote this in about two hours. Wow. I didn't really know what the story was going to be. Um, I had been thinking for a while about how I get frustrated in shows and movies where they have the ability to travel faster than light, but every video and hologram is really terrible quality. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, you know, within 20 years on Earth, you'll have things that are indistinguishable from people in your home so that's where i came up with that gag of she tweaks it so she knows if it's actually a person or not oh okay that that part confused me i wasn't quite sure what was happening at that but i'm sure if i listened again i would i'd pick up on it yeah so that that was the idea was that you'd have a perfect hologram or perfect speaker system so to actually know if it's the real person Especially when you can do these holographic overlays. Mm-hmm. She ups it about a quarter octave or something. Sure. So at the end, just to clarify, then when the Holden not Holden shows up, is that another projection or what was the... Yeah, it's a, it's a guy wearing like a Holden suit. Okay. Like an Agar suit, except it's a hologram. Okay, And gotcha. he's doing the voice mimicry okay, using did, the PA. Did they blast him out the airlock? Uh... Maybe eventually. Okay. That's not where it ends, though. Okay. I that mean, was kind of red hair. I mean, we've seen that before anyway. I mean, b- yeah. launching an alien out of an airlock, it's been done. That's how it's you get it. It's, it's not that it's just been done. It's like, that's how you deal with aliens, Eric. That's that's the, that's the best we, way. Try and true. We didn't need it. We didn't need to see it. It was, the, well, it was better without it. So I put in that the alien could survive vacuum. Oh, yeah. As kind of a nod to saying that that wouldn't even work. Sure. Like, you'd probably be in a worse situation if you just shoot it out. I mean, at least then you don't have to smell it. Yes, that's fair. Yeah. 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 I really Didn't like that detail. about that. About the vacuum of space and using the real science of, you know, the certain microorganisms. The water bears. Oh, you're talking crazy. About, are you talking about tardigrades? Yeah. Oh, they're... That, uh, Marcus, you, you got 10 points. Plus 10. Plus 10 just for the inclusion <laughs> Dang of water bears. It, I shouldn't have brought that up. Uh, thank you. Thank <laughs> I you just for reminding liked me. it too much. So, and so immediately, <laughs> uh, just to say one more thing, the, the first line that I knew, I had no idea what story I was going to write, but the one thing I knew from the moment you pitched was that I was going to write, how is it floating? Oh, oh that, hey, yeah. that, that detail? Another 10 points. Oh, see, that, <laughs> that I'll concede to. <laughs> Mark, Marcus is on the board kicking andrew's ass (laughs) oh boy so you both of you wrote amazingly different stories so uh marcus i will say yours uh does feel very much like this book like leviathan wakes um tonally it is very close there's some differences with characters you made naomi very light and jokey she's kind of deadly serious in the book but considering that i said like nothing about any of these characters it's amazing that you got as close <laughs> as you did so i think you latched onto the tone of the original better than andrew but andrew that story might be one of the most beautiful things i've ever heard you write 
Oh, it was, my it goodness. was lovely. gorgeous. Just, the, I love the tone of it. Like, it's written in this tense that's kind of like, you're sort of summarizing, you're giving the life story, and you're laying out this. There's no, like, immediacy to the story. And then when she goes to bed and wakes up, and it's suddenly in the future, she will wake up and do this. She, this will happen. That is fantastic. I, I got, Thank you. It's just amazing. So your story is better than than Marcus's, but Almost definitely. Marcus's story is more like The Expanse, uh, and uh, Leviathan wakes, um, and we're we're really or I'm going to be judging the two of your fix based on adherence to the pitch, adherence to the you know uh, uh, the original story, uh, two the quality of your story. And three, the just originality and creativity that went into your stories. Uh, and uh, before I like get too far into it and like start handing out points, uh, do you two have any any reactions? Like Andrew, do you have any anything to say about Marcus's story? Definitely, definitely, because as always with Marcus's stories, I love again the little mentions of the science stuff. That makes that just I, that just sucks me in again that 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 detail about the vacuum of space with the the, the organisms, uh, I just adored. But then aside from that, the the, the real nitty gritty stuff. Um, I loved the repartee between Naomi and Holden. I got I got an idea of that relationship in this short story. I, yeah, I even could, though you don't see it very much, yeah, you get it. You get it like really fast and. The fact that when Miller comes in and says, well, you like him, don't you? And, like, she doesn't necessarily know what to think of that. You go, but I, as the reader, know that you do, even though you mm-hmm. haven't admitted and don't understand it. And I like that a lot. Really good, just good character building quickly. That The fact that Miller picks up on that is so Miller, like, from the original. I mean, he's a detective. He's looking for details. He's trying to figure things out constantly. That's his job. So, of course, he's going he's gonna to see... Holden and Naomi and just be like oh yeah they got a thing for each other and then he'll call it out that's great it's perfect anyway sorry to interrupt no those are the the key things that I wanted to hit on great Uh, Marcus anything else you want to say about Andrew's story you wrote a lovely story Mr. Neal I I have to agree with Mr. Carlson I think this is one of the best ones you've done Um, how long was this one a hair over 1500 okay so it's a little bit longer than your last one Marcus what was yours um Mine was twelve seventy something. Oh wow! Okay, good. So, yeah. Uh, so Andrew, I was listening to the story, and you get to uh, where we Eros. Is that where she ends yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eros. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what the heck kind of story are you telling us? Because this isn't going to end. You know, like this has been a really long time into this story. How can you give me a satisfying conclusion in this story? And you just did this beautiful thing with the the next day. And that suddenly contextualizes why we're seeing a bird's eye view of her entire life up until this moment. Because it's just, it says, hey, this is the potential of what a life has been and what it could be. And then it's going to be over tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that was just such a beautiful thing. It struck me as like a very Gaiman-esque, uh, like the coming to America stories and American Gods just this little slice where you're telling a complete story in a very condensed time frame and wonderful work thank you absolutely and that's a great call out because that was an inspiration behind it yep the american gods numbers you just file File them off off. yeah 
and you submit this somewhere. Serious. Thank you. I appreciate that. Completely agreed. So, guys and gals, do you prefer to be called guys or gals? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with either. No preference. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right, gals. Uh, I'm going to get down to scoring these bad boys because... Tabulated. Yeah, in a, in a, <laughs> in a dueling sham fiction, there can only be one, only one winner. Crunching them numbers. Yep. So, Andrew, I love that you dive into the Mao family history and that character. It's something you never see in the book. So, you know, at least plus 10 points just for giving us more Julie Mao than we get in the books. I love the style. I love... There's blue milk in this story. <laughs> yeah. Plus 20 points at least for blue milk. Star Wars references will always get points from the E-Man. That's what I call myself. Just you. It's pronounced the man. <laughs> the man. Uh, I love that the OPA was behind it in your story. Not at all accurate, by the way. OPA, not behind the uh, infestation uh it is in fact don't. Uh, completely ah don't thank you it. thank you because you're gonna read this book because it's excellent um and then marcus your story just i've kind of already talked about the things that i liked about it i mean how's it floating plus 10 <laughs> points <laughs> easy you mentioned tardigrades water bears oh another 10 points easy um, but at the end of the day, there can only be one winner. And you know what? The winner is James S.A. Corey because because <laughs> he actually wrote this thing. Again? That's how this works. Again? He wrote the original novel, but hey, wait, you say he, 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 he went way he, over 1500 words. He did. Yeah. He, did. he did not stick to the prompt and he wrote it way before. The assignment was given. And not only that, not only that, he's not even a one man, which is strictly stated in the rules of sham fiction that only one person per fiction. Yeah. Because because James S.A. Corey, as I mentioned, in the in the blathering prompt that led to this whole affair, is actually the pen name of Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. Two collaborators who write under the pen name. This James this S. all sounds like Corey. cheating. This all yeah. sounds like cheating. Yeah. He's and, a big cheater, and he's uh, a much, much better writer than either of you, so he wins. All right. Which means both of you lose. I am sorry to say that's how this show works. You're, well, bo- you're both losers. I but promise to catch on to this. I never saw it coming. Yeah, yeah. No, you'll never catch on. It'll be a surprise every time we do this, and the original writer wins, and you lose. Uh. Very, very sad and unexpected every time and also Andrew lost a little less than Marcus of course he did he lost a lot less <laughs> let's be honest here so Marcus you are the ultimate loser I'm sorry to say but we still love I, you you're still cute I am, I am cute as a button yeah you are what can I say you are uh, viewers I wish you could see his his little face it's just his little button on the nose that thing <laughs> all right and if uh if y'all want to read leviathan wakes and you do it's not even an option it's a great book it is excellent how uh, long is it it is <laughs> 582 pages in earth, in earth pages 
It's, it's, it's only one book, though. There's not a series, right? It's so definitely a done. very large continuing series that has, like, at least seven books uh, by now. But it's all done. James S.A. Corey died about 60 years ago, no, right? It's still going. It's never going to end. Oh, my Why? Because they sell. They sell. So head on to Amazon. I don't know. Get the Kindle edition. Get Maybe get an audiobook. That's how I listen to it. It's a great audiobook. I don't know who read it because I'm not on the Audible page and I'm not going to bother to do the research. Just go check it out. Or, better yet, go to your local bookstore, your locally owned bookstore, and pick up a hard copy. There'll be 582 pages in that bad boy, and you will eat every single one of them up. Oh, man. Tasty, tasty paper books. Tasty. It's just Andrew shoving paper in his mouth. Is this God. how you read? I don't, I don't know how to read. Uh, one day you'll learn. Thanks. It's okay, buddy. So thank you for oh. bestowing the least loser title upon me. For this week. I've got to go home and lick my wounds, but congratulations to James S.A. Corey and Andrew S.A. Neal. <laughs> and you'll have another chance it to... It stands for Super Awesome. Exactly, it does! <laughs> but anyway, Marcus, you'll have another chance next week to maybe kick my butt in a sham. Because you definitely will. So I'm excited. Until then, thank you, listeners, for listening to our wonderful program, and we'll see you again next time. It's a good program. Yeah. yeah, it's a great program. It's my favorite program. I like programs. You do. And I... you're the reason why I'm saying the word program. And I'm a little angry at you. But you're program. still less of a loser than Marcus. We'll see you all next week on Sham Can't Fiction. Beat the dredge. They're pure. Oh, this isn't your show. You're not allowed to say that. Bye. Whatever. I'm the biggest loser already anyway. That's true. <laughs> you're still cute. Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. This has been a Two Jackets production.